found a place that's quiet Away from all the noise In a garden with you Just to hear your voice Father, every moment Is closer to my death I know I'll be abandoned Just don't forsake me yet and take this cup from me It's more than I can bear I know it's for salvation So hear me And come to me, Father, this is my end. The sins of creation will mark my skin. And this body is breaking. And soon in the grave I will be sent for your name's sake. Spoken their own language, still they brought me shame. It's nothing like in heaven where angels sing my name. And can this be the gospel? They say that I am cursed, they find me as a liar and spit upon. Drag me through your city and hang me on a hill. So turn your face not from me and hear my spirit groan. For them to find the Father, I have to die alone. And come to me, Father. Yeah. 
What I love about that song is that it's coming from the perspective of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane right before he begins his passion. So it's Thursday night. He has already had the Last Supper with his disciples. Judas has already left and betrayed Jesus in the night. And they've already been gathering soldiers to come and arrest Jesus. Jesus has already washed his disciples' feet. And now he is in the garden and he is off by himself alone and he's wrestling with God. The Son of God is wrestling with God the Father. And the line, the key line in that song is that Jesus is being obedient and he says that I will be sin. He is becoming sin. And it's like that scripture that says, he who knew no sin would become sin so that we could be washed clean. And so this Good Friday, we're celebrating and remembering this moment when Jesus took away our sin. And you know, it's, it's kind of an irony that we call it Good Friday because it is the most tragic, unjust moment in the history of the universe. The pure, perfect Son of God takes our sin, dies on the cross so that we can be washed clean. So how can we possibly call this Good Friday? I want to share a scripture with you that talks about that dynamic, and it's found in John chapter 11. And I'm going to jump in at verse 45, John chapter 11, verse 45. It says this, Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, talking about Jesus, had seen what Jesus did, believed in him, believed in Jesus. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So there's a group of Jewish people who have seen something that Jesus did. Many of them are believing in Jesus because of what he did. And now they're reporting back to the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the religious elite, actually. So what is this event that Jesus did? It's actually one of the most amazing things he did in all of his ministry. There is a friend of his named Lazarus. He, Lazarus is the brother of Mary and Martha. He lives in this town of Bethany, just a little outside of Jerusalem. And Jesus had gotten word earlier in chapter 11, Jesus had gotten word that Lazarus was sick. And Jesus, a couple days later, arrives in Bethany and Lazarus has already died. And everyone is around the tomb, around Lazarus' sisters, Mary and Martha. They're weeping, they are, they're in mourning. And Jesus goes to the tomb. And he's, he's weeping along with them, but he goes to the tomb and he tells Mary, have them roll the stone away from the tomb. They roll the stone away and Jesus in a loud voice yells into the tomb, Lazarus, come forth. And a moment later, to the shock, to the surprise, the utter awe of everyone there, 
Lazarus, the man that they had just been at his funeral. They had just seen him be placed into that tomb. Lazarus stands up and comes walking out of the tomb in his grave clothes. He is alive. They take the grave clothes off of his face. They see his face. They realize that he is alive. Now, can you just imagine being there? Can you imagine being one of Lazarus's friends? You've just gone through the, the roller coaster of knowing that he's sick, being worried for him, seeing, being there at his funeral, and now you're seeing him alive. Now you're talking to him. You're asking him questions. You're, you're dining with him at his, at his house along with Mary and Martha. Can you imagine the joy? Can you imagine the fact that this man had been given his life? back. You can imagine that made quite an impact on the town of Bethany and quite an impact on all of the residents at nearby Jerusalem. People were, were believing in Jesus, uh, understandably, were believing in Jesus because they saw his power to raise this man back to life. So people are seeing this, they're believing, they're reporting, they're telling each other that, man, I, Lazarus, I, I saw him dead, I've seen him alive, Lazarus came back to life, this guy, Jesus, he rose Lazarus back from the dead. They're telling everyone, and they're also telling the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day. Well, here's what happens next. I'm going to pick it up in verse 47. Here's what it says. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, what are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. They say, okay, the word is spreading about Jesus. He's doing these incredible signs um, and people are believing in him. What are we to do? And it seems like the obvious answer would be believe in him. If he's doing these incredible, incredible miracles, proving that he is who he says that he is, that he is from God, that he is actually has the power of God. He's actually God in the flesh. You'd think, what should they do? They should believe in him like so many of the people. But here's the second thing they, they're worried about. They said people are believing in him. And what if the Romans who are occupying Israel, occupying most of the known world, occupying Jerusalem, what if they get wind that everyone around wants to make this guy Jesus king and they start to get worried that the, the Romans, they may come in and they may, put, they may squash this and we may lose our positions, our place of power. See, the main thing that these religious leaders, they don't want the Romans to mess with their lives. Jesus is an inconvenience. They don't want Jesus to mess with their position and their, and their place of power. So let's, let's pick it up. Here's what it says in verse 49. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was a high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. But he did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation and not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. So one man stands up, they're saying, what are we going to do? What are we going to do with this guy, Jesus? Everyone is believing in him. What are we going to do? And, this, and the high priest, the one who's in charge of all of them, the high priest of the whole nation of Israel, he stands up and says, you guys don't know anything. Don't you know that it would be better for one man to die than the entire nation? He's saying Jesus needs to die. Jesus, in fact, he had prophesied about this earlier. 
In fact, God had given him this message that Jesus would die for the people of Israel and for all of God's people scattered in every nation, in every tribe, in every tongue, in every language, that Jesus would die for all of them. And so it sounds like, wow, this is a powerful moment where they're realizing what Jesus came to do, because that is exactly what Jesus came to do. But look what it says next, verse 53. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. See, Caiaphas didn't even understand the fullness of the, of the prophecy that God spoke through him. Caiaphas thought, don't worry, he's going to die, so you don't have to lose the comfort and convenience of your life. He, he's going to die, so you can keep everything status quo. They didn't get it. In fact, they so didn't want Jesus to inconvenience their life that they were going to put him to death. They were scheming and plotting his murder, the murder of an innocent man. Well, let me just wrap it up with this next verse. This is what it says in verse 54. Jesus, therefore, no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there to the region near the wilderness to a town called Ephraim, and there he stayed with his disciples. See, Jesus at that point, he at that point goes away from Bethany, and at that point he goes into the wilderness, and he's not walking among the Jews. He knows what they're plotting and planning, but he's not going to stay in the wilderness. He's going to return to Bethany, and then he's going to enter into Jerusalem on the final week of his life. Why? Because he was going to surrender his life. Here's the point. You can't kill Jesus. Jesus surrendered his life for us. I want you to look at how this, the narrative of this story plays out. Jesus raises Lazarus to life. Lazarus goes from death to life. Jesus raises Lazarus to life. And then the consequence of that, people are going around, they're believing in him. The consequences of that is they plot Jesus's death. In other words, just look at the, the narrative of this story. For Lazarus to come to life, it's going to cost Jesus his own death. And that's actually the spiritual reality as well. For Lazarus to find life, Jesus is going to have to die. And the religious leaders of all people, they don't understand this. They don't actually understand that, yes, they need Jesus to die so that they will actually be saved. Not that they can keep the status quo, but that their lives will be transformed. They need Jesus to die for their own salvation. But you know what's ironic is sometimes it's the most religious that, re that, that takes the longest to realize they need Jesus to save them. I want to illustrate what I mean by this. I have, a, I have something here that I want to use to, to illustrate this point. Um, I have a, a glass and a, and a pitcher here and a couple things, but I want you to just take this glass. Let's say, for example, this glass is, is us. Here's what the, the Bible says. It says in Romans, it says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. W what is the glory of God? What is it that we have fallen short of? of the glory of God. He, God is perfectly holy. There is no blemish, no sin, no wrong in God. He is perfectly good and perfectly holy. So the standard, the standard to get to heaven, the standard to be saved is we, is God himself. It's not looking around at each other. It's God himself. We have to be perfect like God. But the reality is none of us are perfect. And if the standard is the perfection of God, then that means just one sin. We'll say that this die is sin. Just one sin is enough to blemish us. 
In fact, if you, if you look here, just one sin and we are, our lives are tainted. So one lie, one moment when I cheat, one moment of selfishness, in one moment I am tainted. And so what does that mean? I, I mean, can I just, how do I get untainted? Can I do like some other, some good acts? Could I, if I do enough good, will it make up for the fact that I am, I'm tainted? And the reality is no, we, we have sinned against, we've done wrong against an infinite everlasting God. And so the consequences of that is everlasting. We need to be washed clean. How do we get washed clean? Well, let's say that this is Jesus. Jesus came down to earth. And what it says, Jesus, the son of God, God in the flesh came down to earth. And it says he pours himself out. He poured himself out on the cross, dying on the cross. He did it for us. He poured himself out for us. And in so doing, Jesus, in pouring himself completely out, Jesus has washed us completely clean. He's washed away all of our sins. But then what does that mean for our sin? What happens with our sin? Well, here's what, again, the Bible says, he who knew no sin became sin. And so here's what happens. Our sin, Jesus actually takes our sin on the cross, absorbs every last bit of our sin. Even though he had no sin, he absorbs our sin on the cross. In other words, for us to be washed clean, Jesus has to take our sin. He became sin for us. So the reality of our lives is that we need Jesus. We actually need Jesus to be saved. This is something the religious leaders did not realize. So let me ask you, what would it be if, if you were to contemplate heaven? What is it that you would say in your life? I, I think I'm going to heaven one day when I die. Why? I think I'm going to heaven. Why? Well, maybe you say, look, I come from a long heritage of the Christian faith. I, my parents went to church. I grew up going to church. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm a Christian. Or maybe it's, it's not just the heritage, it's the label. You say, look, I, I call myself a Christian. I am a Christian. Or maybe you say, it's, it's my good deeds. I, I'm not a bad person. I, I, I haven't done any major sins. I haven't robbed any banks. I haven't killed anyone. I, I am a pretty good guy. I, I do kind things. It's my good works that will get me into heaven. Or maybe you say, look, no, it's my sincerity. You know, I, I mean well. God knows I'm doing the best I can. I'm, I'm trying my best. See, all of those things, those are, those are honorable things, but none of those things can take away our sin. They can't make up for our sin. They can't take it away. In fact, all of those things, that's religion. Whether it's our heritage, our label, our good works, our sincerity, those things are religion. Religion cannot save us. Only Jesus can save us. The bad news is we desperately need someone to take away our sin. But here's the good news. That is offered you for free. That gift. You can receive what Jesus did that day on the cross to pay for your sins. You can receive that as a free gift. It's not about religion. It's about the work that Jesus did on that wonderful cross. Why is it called Good Friday? It's because it's the most incredible moment of our salvation. Jesus dies on the cross and takes our sins away. I want to give you an opportunity to have your sins washed away. Religion can't do it. Good works can't do it. 
you need Jesus to do it. Accept that gift, that free gift of salvation. Put your faith in Jesus as your savior. So I don't know where you are in the world right now. You might be watching behind a computer screen or on your phone or might be watching from a television screen or a tablet. Wherever you're at, today could be your day of salvation. Today could be a good Friday. It's the day that you have put your faith in your Savior. Is that you? Do you want to take that step? Do you want to receive that free gift and have your eternity sealed? Then I just want to lead you in a simple prayer. And so right there, wherever you're at, let me lead you in this prayer. Just pray this in your heart to God. Just say, God, I know that I need a Savior. I'm not good enough. I need a Savior. And I thank you that you sent me Jesus Christ to be my Savior. He took away my sin by the incredible sacrifice on the cross. I believe that and I put my faith in Jesus today so that I can be transformed. In Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, if that was your prayer just then, I want you to know that this makes this a really good Friday. This makes today the greatest day in your life. Your eternity is changed. And here's the thing, we want to celebrate with you. So I want to ask you to do this right there on your screen. There's a place that you can indicate that you put your faith in Jesus. You'll even see in the comments, there is a, a website or, that says uh, cityrev.org faith. I want you to click on that. I want you to click that so we know that you put your faith in Jesus. There's a short form so that we can celebrate with you, answer your questions, pray for you. We'd even like to send you a Bible. So please, that's so important. Please let us know that your eternity, this is too big of a moment for us to not be able to celebrate with you. So we want to celebrate with you that today is a good day. It's the day when your eternity is transformed. You have walked into permanent forgiveness. All of your past is washed away. All of your sins are washed away because of Jesus Christ on that good Friday when he died on the cross for us and eventually he rose again on the third day. Christian, we are going to take this moment now to, re to remember and to celebrate how incredible that moment was on that cross. What a wonderful moment that was. So let's take a few moments now and reflect on the wonderful cross of Jesus Christ. Sorrow and mind flow 
To find that I may truly 